Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor four-part podcast series on ESG investing, brought to you by Royal London. This episode of the podcast looks at the considerations an advisor should have when selecting responsible investment funds for clients. I'm David Thorpe, Special Project Editor at FT Advisor. Joining me to discuss the topic today are Ryan Medlock, Senior Investment Development and Technical Manager at Royal London, and Minesh Patel, an advisor at EA Financial Solutions in London. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Pleasure. Ryan, has the ESG investable universe evolved in recent years in a way that means constructing a genuinely diversified portfolio of such assets is now possible? I think, yes, it is now possible. Um, I think it's still in its infancy overall. I think that there are obviously more and more solutions now available for advisors to choose from for their clients. I think if we think about ESG integration in general, obviously as as an asset class, it's, it's much easier to be done in equities. Obviously in fixed income, it's more about engagement, incorporating ESG into the analysis and You've also got growing consideration of ESG in alternative assets. Obviously, there's a variety of different responsible investment approaches and techniques that specific funds and specific managers can take into account. Um, Obviously, exclusions, that's probably the most commonly known uh, responsible investment approach. Uh, That is just one approach. And it's not a case that all ESG portfolios or ESG managers are going to be excluding the same stocks. You'll have some managers also adopting particular agendas, so whether that's uh, positive screening or through specific engagement programs. And you've also got more and more managers integrating ESG into their wider investment processes. And obviously, there's a variety of ways that you can go about doing that. And it certainly isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. Thank you. Manesh, from your point of view as an advisor, uh, it may have been that a number of years ago, if you wanted to put uh, an ESG fund into a portfolio, you probably had a relatively narrow range of funds from which to choose and a lot of funds that did quite the same thing. But do you feel that that has changed in recent years and that the number of options that you've got uh, for clients has has expanded? The um, universe for ESG investing has certainly improved. Um, But in addition to the number of solutions that are available, I would also add that the awareness of what is available is has has improved greatly um, from multi-asset portfolios to uh, uh, individual funds. So if you're uh, you're building portfolios, you can build bond equity equity funds in combination. Um, The fund the. ESG stroke ethical stroke sustainable investing has been available for some years, but I think it's become a theme which is a must rather than a possible. Um, What has been very encouraging is that all fund management groups are now seeing ESG as being integral to their future, not just um, something they may consider at a latter point. so my views are that it is a well-served uh, 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 area of investment, which is improving day by day. Thank you. And Manesh, I guess one of the, the 
central uh, aspect of the work that you do as an individual client is is the risk profile, their whole attitude to risk. And can responsible investing funds adjust? Can you make a portfolio adjust for clients who have different risk appetites? Is is that now possible, or is it that they all have the, a similar um, approach to risk? You've you've got some. Um in the in terms of attachment of risk and appropriate risk you've got multi-asset portfolios the royal london world world sustainable trust portfolios um are multi-asset in that they are, can be um sorry they, they can be constructed on a, a risk on an appropriate risk basis but you can also build equity bond portfolios to to match the appropriate risk of the client i feel that um, multi-asset usage of ESG uh, style investing is uh, a, an extremely simple, easy way for client, for advisors and clients to access ESG investing. Now, indeed, the coronavirus crisis and resultant economic damage and health um, uh, uh, disaster has brought, uh, yet again brought to the forefront of considering wider factors such as the sustainability of our planet um, and sustainability of our health. So I think that um, the coronavirus can only accelerate demand for ESG-based investing. Thank you. Ryan, um, Manesh mentioned some of the uh, products that Royal London have um, on the market um, and that, that many of them are multi-asset. How do uh, you guys as providers uh, view risk profile within the responsible investing universe? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a number of things here. Obviously, Manesh rightly talks about the different portfolios there, obviously, in terms of individual funds, which can be risk profiled, uh, and suites of solutions, which are risk profiled as well. I think a lot of these uh, you know, package solutions, whether they're part of a suite or individual funds, which are which are risk rated um, from an ESG perspective as well, are all about producing focused, differentiated um, portfolios with long time horizons, and uh, you know they're generally flexible enough to cater for different risk appetites. Uh, a point that I really want to focus on here is is about the emergence of third party ESG tools, and I think these tools are going to play a huge huge role going forward in terms of screening and filtering different solutions based on clients ESG preferences and um, you know name check a couple of years fund eco market and Morningstar sustainable ratings I think you know going forward how as an industry we adopt these and how advisors go about integrating this within their wider ATR process I think that's going to be a big theme going forward and, and obviously that is something which is still very much in its infancy. Uh, adding to what Ryan just said, um, Fund Eco Market is an exceptional tool for filtering the type of ESG stroke ethical sustainable investing that you wish to consider. Um, that they have a very thorough screening method. So I think that the awareness, as Ryan has mentioned, of ESG tools needs to be improved once advisors realize there are tools like fund eco market or get to know them better then the idea of uh, esg investing becomes far more straightforward 
thank you. Um, Ryan, um, has, has the ESG investable universe evolved to a point where, where in, in your view as a provider, um, you uh, responsible investing funds can now play a role in a client's income portfolio or for a client in the accumulation? I guess up to now, it's very much been seen that lots of those uh, income staples that are in traditional portfolios, such as tobacco, and armaments might not be in a responsible investment portfolio. But are there alternatives to that that can give you income within the responsible investing context? Yeah, I think there is. I think income portfolios in general have, have, have massively involved in, in recent years. You know, it's not just about bolting income producing funds together. And, you know, you could even argue, you know, at this point where we are in 2020, you could argue, you know, what exactly is an income fund uh, with, with various businesses suspending dividends and uh, the investment associations suspending their um, their rules around the UK and and and, and global equity income sectors. Uh, certainly, a lot more to income portfolios uh, than that. Particularly in the context, if we think about centralised retirement propositions as well, and the whole framework for providing retirement advice. But if we talk about responsible investment in an equity income context, I think you're always going to unearth this specific conflict of, on one hand, uh, the business paying dividends. And on the other hand, having a, a resilient-based approach to um, investing and being more aligned to longer-term strategic planning. And you know, I think a lot of this ultimately comes back to the clients' individual needs and their individual ESG preferences. And I do think responsible investment funds can serve a purpose within income portfolios. And you know, it very much comes back to the old argument about diversifying the income stream. Thank you. Um, Manesh, from your point of view with clients that are in decumulation or coming towards uh, decumulation or just generally investing for, for income, um, how, how do you view responsible investing in, in that context? Is it the old cliff edge scenario where, you know, they're in accumulation and then they go into the accumulation, you sell everything that they had in accumulation and start again for decumulation? Or can you carry a responsible investment fund from one into the other? Okay, so... It largely depends on what you perceive to be an income stream. So if you're looking for separation of income from capital, then there are responsible uh, responsible investment funds which are which are in the UK equity income space and also fixed income space. So your income generally would, would come from a diversified portfolio, portfolio from a dividend income and coupons from fixed income. Okay, so so you can you can you you can build that you can build that type of portfolio. If, however, you're content to um, start selling accumulation units for 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 income generation or a, or a combination of natural income plus uh, capital growth, then you may not need to change the portfolio. Um, I think. Would I, would I, as I, as an advisor, do I change the investment philosophy from accumulation to decumulation? Not generally, but it can take a slightly more income bias going forward. So there's more natural income created. Um, clearly, that is very um, easily achievable when you're using, uh, for example, DFMs that you can adjust the portfolios as they're entering um, decumulation. And indeed, I think that um, that's a role, and I think they are incorporating ESG much more 
wildly, wild, wildly into their widely into their portfolio, I should say. Um, so, for example, we use Quilter or have considered Quilter when we're looking at um, that type of approach. Um, so it largely depends on whether you're looking to create a natural income stream or a combination of capital growth plus income or just capital growth. Thank you. And Manesh, I suppose to take that um, that point a, a step further forward, if you felt as an advisor it was appropriate or the client felt it was their their desire um, to take less risk in their portfolios, how can you view um, a responsible investing fund in, in that context? Is there a way of saying that's a responsible investing fund at the riskier end of the spectrum and that one's at the lower risk end of the spectrum and I can switch between the two? Do those do those options exist? Yeah, well, the risk levels can be adjusted on the rural London portfolios. For example, you've got from cautious to adventurous, so you can go up and down the scale if you want to de-risk. If you're, if you're putting together your own portfolios, you can obviously sell down some of the more uh, the equity holdings in favour of bonds if you're looking to to, to de-risk or if, if it's a DFM to instruct the DFM that you wish to take less risk. Um, but it's interesting as to this idea of taking less risk. Um, I think in terms of what clients tend to do, unfortunately, is want to take less risk too late. So many clients, after the sell down in equities, wish to take more less risk, and by that time it was too late. Um, I personally think it's getting the right portfolio to withstand many different market conditions and just stick with it over a different period, rather than moving up and down the risk scale. Um, because financial planning essentially is you're looking at you're making assumptions based on investment returns now um, so that's it's an interesting point about de-risking perhaps another debate for another time ryan if it's it's a it's, it's something to be to be debated or, or or looked at but how do you how do you at royal london approach that issue of uh constructing portfolios within sustainable investing that are uh, higher risk or lower risk is it as simple as you know that's what bonds do and that's what equities do or do you think that really the conversation has to move on from that especially given conditions in the bond market where some of these things are starting to yield negative yields now that would have traditionally been viewed as lower risk assets yeah i think that's really interesting i think it, it, it touches on that you can, both sides of the coin there i mean as minish talked about there specifically on the royal london sustainable range um, you know, you can move up and down the risk years and, 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 and the asset allocation is adjusted accordingly. Now, that's just one mechanism. And that's, to be honest, probably the easiest way of shifting through the risk years from, from an ESG perspective as well. Uh, I, I do think, you know, we, we touched about it on the, on the previous question as well. Again, I think probably the third party ESG tools are, are going to play a significant role here again. Because I do think that you know, by applying those tools and, and, and adopting those tools within advisor processes, I, I do think that can ultimately enhance the overall ATR process. And, you know, that's going to help allow advisors to create ESG-specific or responsible investment-specific uh, centralized investment propositions for clients with different risk appetites uh, and different time horizons. You've also got more managers 
integrating ESG into their various processes and, you know, crossing over into more mainstream investment strategies as well. So, you know, I think in a couple of years' time, it's it's not going to be a question about how you de-risk from an ESG perspective. I think it just becomes a general question about how you de-risk in general. Uh, and ultimately, a lot of these ESG considerations will be built into advisors' existing uh, research and due diligence processes. Thank you. Um, Minesh, from from your point of view, as an advisor, um, I'm, I'm quite interested to hear really how you incorporate ESG into those processes and into client fact finds. Um, what role, how does that fit in with, I suppose, the more traditional fact find approach and traditional conversation that you would have? So our IO, um, Intelligent Office, who are our back office provider, now have a specific question on the fact find as to ethical, socially, social considerations so that you either tick yes or no. But in going further, Fund Eco Market have an SRI fact find, which is 25 questions. So where there is interest expressed and a deeper interest, we will we have incorporated that 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 SRI fact find. And then that fact find, it does direct you to the style of um, sustainable investing or responsible investing that the client wishes to consider. For example, negative screening, ethically balanced, sustainability, ESG. So there's although all the terms sort of get blended into one, they are actually distinct categories. Um, an area that I find sometimes difficult to compartmentalize, to be honest. So I, I do have to keep reviewing what the different different uh, criteria are. However, again, I think that is just familiarity and experience, but the tools are already available for advisors to probe much more deeply on ethical considerations. Um, I, I suppose it's knowing where to look. Thank you. Ryan, I suppose um, the conversations I used to have with, with advisors, um, if you brought up the topic of ESG, an advisor would say, well, if I'm asked about it, I know what to do. We've now had regulatory changes around fact find that means that's not really enough anymore. Um, from the point of view of the advisors that use your uh, products and the conversations that, that you at Royal London have with advisors, um, how What's your experience of how they are incorporating it into their existing processes and what role it plays in those processes? Is it grudgingly added on at the end? You know, here's everything. Oh, by the way, do you want some ethical or is it deeper than that? Yeah, I think that was very much the approach what you would have had maybe four or five years ago, where it it very much felt like a a bolt on to the overall service and and proposition. I think things have moved on, obviously, over the last couple of years as, as, as this has become more popular and more integrated. I think I, I, I do think a key consideration here is before you know, advisors look about trying to integrate this within their formal processes, a precursor has to be uh, engaging the client on some of these ESG issues. And I think Manesh touched on it very early on as well. And in, in, in fact, that I think it's quite unique in that COVID, the pandemic and the lockdown all of this, I think, has given advisors a bit of a unique opportunity um, when it comes to ESG, particularly when you think about the S and the G issues 
uh, they've definitely been more magnified during the lockdown. So, you know, particular examples of, you know, how certain businesses have been treating their workforce, the focus on flexible working, things like that. There's been lots of really good and lots of bad examples over the last couple of months. And from an environmental aspect, there's been plenty of headlines about the reduction in carbon emissions, you know, and humanity's impact on the natural world. So I think the, the, the pandemic and the lockdown has generated a lot of these topics to engage clients with. And then it's then important to think about how you want to integrate some of these considerations into the research and due diligence process as well. Um, you know, again, before you start trying to think about what fact finding questions you've had, I mean, Royal London as an asset owner. Um, you know, we have a number of asset managers managing um, our customers' money on our behalf. And it plays a part in our due diligence processes as well in terms of trying to gather as much information as we can on their approach to responsible investment. So, you know, questions around uh, what the asset managers are signatory to in terms of different codes and initiatives, what type of issues and subjects that they typically engage with their companies on. And, you know, a good starting point or template, if you like, to all of this might be, you know, if they're signatory to the UNPRI, um, requesting copies of their annual report and the annual assessment report as well, which is generally seen as a good benchmark for ESG performance. So I do think that, that there are some wider considerations before you just suddenly bolt on some, some fact-finding questions. Thank you. Um, and Ryan, if those are the, the, the themes, I suppose, uh, that are out there, um, how do you move that conversation with the client on? How, how do you frame the questions around those themes to, to really get the clients, uh, to get an understanding of the client's view of how important each one of those separately and together is in a portfolio? Yeah, well, I think, you know, as Manesh talked about earlier, there's the, the specific fact lines out there with, 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 with really good responsible investment style questions that you can incorporate in there. I tend to think that the best questions to ask clients about their ESG preferences are those that really gauge a client's basic feelings about ESG factors. So as an example, you know, a really basic example here, you know, how strongly do you feel about environmental factors such as climate change and a company's environmental footprint? You know, you could substitute that and talk about questions on social factors, governance factors. So, you know, collectively, you're tugging at the client's different feelings towards ESG issues. And, you know, I, I think then it's a case of trying to bring them to life with examples. So you could link them to specific ESG issues we've had around COVID, which we've just talked about. Or, you know, you could perhaps use something a little more formal, such as the, the, the UN Social Development Goals Framework. Um, that's something I definitely encourage to take a look at and perhaps use as, as a reference point. And, you know, it might be worth also including questions which tug at different responsible investment approaches. So, for example, asking the client if there's any particular sectors or particular companies that they want to avoid, because that could indicate a preference for an exclusions-based approach. But, you know, ultimately, I don't think there's any right or wrong approach here. Um, but I do think that the point about client engagement and bringing the impact of ESG to life is a, is a really, really important point. Thank you. Um, Manesh, I guess a, a theme that's run constantly through the, the conversation we've had today is um, how uh, the Responsible Investing Universe has evolved. Um, and it started off with exclusion and then, you know, some clients became aware of uh, uh, environmental and climate change. And, you know, th those things get added to every year with, with new 
considerations around um, treatment of staff, etc. Um, as an advisor, to understand which are the priorities for a for a client, what does that conversation look like? Well, fundamentally, do you as an advisor care? Do you really care beyond your business? Do you actually think of COVID-19 has, will I feel, make society a kinder place, yeah? Um, whilst profit is critical for business, it's critical um, for clients, it's critical for all, profit can be made um, with good practice, yeah? Good sustainable practice which benefits all. And I think the theme that we can take away from COVID-19 and perhaps the way we've embraced the, the miraculous work that the NHS workers doing from, from your doctor to, to, to everyone involved has demonstrated that perhaps thematic investing, which incorporates responsible investing, sustainable investing, will lead to more profit but more importantly, a better society. Um, so I think that the theme that I perhaps would uh, look at is, do we as an advisory community communicate how much we care about issues beyond their profits and their financial planning? And that enthusiasm then becomes something that you can incorporate with much of what Ryan has said, that you can build that into things like the UN approach. Um, so it's good practice is always led by someone. So if you've got a decent um, client base with people who trust you, which is generally the case right throughout the advisory community, that enthusiasm, that theme can be led through your own work, yeah? Um, so I feel that is the way forward, that we advisors um, look at much more than what we what we are used to talking about. And I would add that I feel that advisors and advisory firms are doing an incredible amount of good work throughout the community. I see many acts of you know massive charitable donations, fundraising, etc. So there is that. A desire to do better. I think it's it's just now accelerating that desire to do better. A better meaning more responsible for the for the for the for, the, uh, for our planet. Thank you very much, Ryan Manesh. Thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Some very interesting talking points, I thought. And uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And please do look out for the uh, regular weekly podcast series that the FT Advisor team put together on a wide variety of topics. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.